Firehead. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to be together. We thank you for all that you have provided. We ask those that couldn't be here for several different reasons that you watch over them and that they would also be safe and healed and taken care of. We ask that you would guide us through our our day every day and that we would seek to do your will and not our own. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so today's is Back to the Basics in the Bible, Who's Who and What They Do, Part 2. It's like a Dr. Seuss title. We're going to start. Rahab. What do you know, if anything, about Rahab? Oh, that's Rehan. So we're looking at Rahab, Caleb... Caleb said that's where people with problems go. I said, no, that's rehab. So uh, we're going, we're, we're at Rahab. This is a, a person in the Bible. She is in Jer uh, Joshua, which you just are in. I don't know. Yeah, Joshua 2. I can't believe so. Five and six. I can't remember. She was a prostitute. She was a prostitute, yes. Okay. She was a Canaanite prostitute. Does anybody know what Canaanite means? No. So I went there. Is it Canaanite city? Did she live in Canaan? No, she lived in Jericho. But so it's kind of like think of like countries back then were really small, and so she was Canaan. Cana, Canaan was the area that the Canaanites lived in before they the Israelites came in and took them. Israelites, and it included cities like Jericho. Just slow Okay. Okay. What else do we know about Rahab? She married Moab. She did not marry Moab. <laughs> Moaz. Oh, Boaz. No, that's Ruth. You're, you'll be good on the next one, though. Okay. And you are much closer than you think. Good catch. All right, let's look at some things here. She helped spy Israel to spy out Jericho. So if you want to... Rahab is actually a prototype of the modern-day Christian. So her story meets our story. And I'm actually going to do a sermon. It's either going to be the one I give on May 28th, or on, yeah, I'm going to do it on the 20th, because I'm not going to do it on Father's Day. Uh, if you want to know more about it, you can catch it, or catch it on YouTube or listen, but it is, it is amazing the way her story is. So she helps two spies spy out Jericho. When they come to her house, they didn't, they didn't go there because she was a prostitute. She was basically like an innkeeper, and she hid them from the the king of the city on on her roof. And they gave her a scarlet cord to hang outside of her window as a sign because she, she said, if I save you, will you save me and my family? Because I know God has given you the city. And they, they made a promise. So they gave her this, they told her to hang the scarlet cord out. And she told them how to get away. And they did and on the invasion. Her and those in her house were the only ones that were saved out of the entire city. She is a sign of the sinner who repents of their sin, take, 
leaves her original people and comes to God being saved. And an interesting fact, she is in the lineage of Christ. She is one of four women listed in the lineage of Christ. Who else is? Mary. Mary. Mary is actually the only woman who's a Jew. Which man? The other ones are listed. We'll, we'll go through this. Mary. Mary. Mother Mary. Mm. We look here. Here's her lineage. You'll see her in the second row. Top. That's Rahab. She is Boaz's mother. So, John, you were really close. She is yeah. also. Yeah, I was. Yeah, she was also. Wait. Nah. We're, we're looking at a family tree. Jacob had 11 sons. Yeah, it's the 12 tribes of Israel. If you look in the second row, the pink person at the top is Rahab. She married Salmon. I think that's how you say it. And their son is Boaz. She is the great, great grandmother of David. King David. All right. Jen, what do you know about Ruth? Ruth? Married Boaz after she was uh, possibly like a bad woman, and then she found her Boaz, and she lived happily ever after. Okay. Was she a prostitute too? No. So let's let's run through Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman from Moab, which is Jordan. Modern, so she's Jordanian from today. She is the daughter-in-law to Naomi, who they go to Moab when there is a famine. Her two sons marry two girls. Ruth is one of them. All three men die while they're there. The famine ends, so Naomi goes back. She cuts the two women free from their oaths to her sons. One stays in Moab, and Naomi, I'm sorry, uh, Ruth goes with her. In fact, in Ruth 1.16, she says, For where you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and the important one is, and your God, my God. She's another conversion style. So she gave up her glory, which was, in those days, women's glory was in having sons to carry on the the name and of the family. So she gave up that to go and live basically as a widow with Naomi in Israel. It's then that she goes and picks food for them so that they can eat because there's no welfare system. Nobody takes care of them. And she meets a, a much older man whose field it is, and he takes her in, and that is Boaz. Yes. Interesting fact, she is also in the lineage of Christ. And again, if we look at a zoomed-in one, we see Rahab, and Boaz, Ruth. Her husband, Mahalan, died, so she married Boaz. Then they had Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was David's dad. So she is the great-grandmother of David, and she married Ruth's son. I'm sorry, Rahab's son. So when you're going through these lineages and you're like, I don't know, these make no sense to me. Well, they're starting to show you these, there's something important. Any questions on 
I didn't ask for Rahab, but any questions on Rahab or Ruth? All right, moving on. We now have Samuel. What do we know about Samuel? He went out the long head. That's Samson. Oh. He was in Judges. You mean the guy who gets, like, very old? Samuel? Yeah. He's actually lived this one a while ago. There are a lot of old people on the Bible. Yeah, that's true. It was a couple years ago. What did he do? I can't remember. All I remember is he was born and... That's everybody. What was that thing he did right after he was born? Like, what did they do? Oh, just tell him you don't know. (laughs) Tell him? No. All right. Anybody else have any ideas? Can be more specific than he was born. Samuel. He was dedicated to the Lord before he was even born. His mother, Hannah, was barren for several years. Made a vow to the Lord that if she had a child, she would dedicate it to the Lord. The priest at the time was Eli. He told her whatever, after he thought she was drunk, she told him, no, I'm praying. He said, whatever your heart is asked will be given to you. As soon as Samuel was weaned, his mother took him to the tabernacle, which was the tent for the temple at the time, and left him. So he lived there. He never left. He never went back home. His mom would come every year and bring him a new robe. She made him. And she was rewarded with three more sons and two more daughters. He is the prophet of Israel. And he is the one that creates the kings. So he anoints both Saul and David as king. He will only live to see Saul reign as king. He dies before David is actually takes the throne. And then interesting fact, Saul called on Samuel and spoke with him after Samuel died. He went to a medium. He called him up from the grave, and Samuel was none too happy with him. And literally told him, tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. And they died the next day. And that is actually what brought David to the throne. Any questions on Samuel? He did several more things. Again, I'm trying to keep it basic. How about Elijah? What do we know about Elijah? Was he a prophet? He was a prophet. Didn't he get taken up to heaven on? Like, didn't he get taken up to heaven? He did get taken to heaven. And he wasn't. What I was think it? what Zach's mean is when he went to sleep, he. No. 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 He went to heaven. Oh. It was something about those. I remember that from Joe's school. Oh, close ravens. Yeah. All right. What else? Wait, there's. And he had someone named Elisha with him. Elisha. So there's Elijah and his his student, Elisha. So a lot of times people mess that up. They think they're all the same person. What else you got? Nothing. All right. The dictionary here, the encyclopedia. He did good. So Elijah, he is usually addressing King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who aren't nice people. As a prophet, he there we go. He caused a three-year drought. The drought had already been going on for about six months. He then prayed for it not to rain another three years, so it actually lasted three and a half. But a three-year drought. During that time, he was ordered by God to go into the wilderness where he stayed by a brook. And twice a day, ravens would bring him food. Why do we think 
Ravens brought him food twice a day. Why didn't God just put a lot of food there? He had to trust God he was going to get the food. There you go. If he would have put a pile of food there, he would have trusted in the pile. But when ravens deliver your meal twice a day, you're trusting in God that they will come back. Not in what you have, but that he will deliver what you need. After that, he goes to the widow of Zarephath. This is the only time she is in the Bible. Keep that in mind. She had one chance, and she took it, and now we know about her. So the widow of Zarephath, he shows up at a well, and she's getting water. And he says, please give me water, and make me something to eat. And she said, I only have enough flour and oil for me and my son, and we are going to make our last meal, and then we will die, because they had nothing left. And he said, well, feed me first. and then." The oil and the flour will not run out until the drought ends. What do you think you do in that situation? If I didn't know who he was, I would probably think it's crazy. Yeah, that's probably what most people would think. So interesting thing. If she is at her last meal and somebody promises you they can give you more, is there, you're kind of against a rock in a hard place. Is there much of a risk in letting him have it? The question is, did God put her in such a desperate situation to save her? Because it's only in that desperate or that bad of a situation that she would have trusted him. She does trust him, and he ends up being correct. She, he lives there for months, and it lasts flour and oil, and it lasts the entire time. It doesn't run out. The child that was going to starve to death later dies. And Elijah does one of the strangest things in the entire Bible. He comes back and he lays himself on him and spreads himself out on him three times. And he comes back to life. Scholars can't tell us why. Some people have said, well, when he was doing it, he probably did chest compressions and it was like modern day CPR and then. I don't see that. He's spreading his entire body out on him. It's not going to give you the two-inch compression. So I think it was something interesting, something miraculous. So the, the promise kept coming. He killed 450 prophets of Baal or Baal, depending on how you pronounce it. How do you do, hmm? how do, you do that? So that is the picture we're looking at. So he challenged, this is near the end of the drought, and he challenged actually Jezebel's prophets, 450 of them, of, of all. He said, we'll both build a sacrifice on this mountain, and then we'll ask our gods to call down fire and burn them up, and whichever does it is the real God. So for the entire first part of the day, the prophets of Baal attempt to call down fire, and it doesn't, doesn't go so well. They start doing crazy things, and he taunts them. He says, maybe your God is on a walk. Maybe your God is going to the bathroom. Maybe he can't hear you. Yell louder. They start cutting themselves into all sorts of crazy stuff. Doesn't work. Now, remember, we're in the middle of a drought that's been going on for now near six months, or three years and six months. He digs a trench around his sacrifice that can hold three gallons of water. 
And he says, pour water on it. Again, and again, and again. He fills the sacrifice. is so wet that it fills the trench with three gallons of water. He then prays to God, and immediately fire falls from heaven. And burns it completely up, even though it's soaked. He then tells the people, obviously, my God is God, kill them. So they killed all 450 prophets. Hmm. It's right after that that it, the rain cloud starts to come. and He takes off on a sprint and outruns Ahab's chariot for 20 miles. He's a track. Well, he then hears that Jezebel says that she's going to kill him tomorrow. And despite all of his faith and everything he had gone through, he freaked out and ran into the wilderness until he passed out. So sometimes our greatest successes are marked immediately thereafter by our greatest failures. A great act of faith can be followed immediately by a great act of doubt. It's known to Ahab at one point, they say, hey, we ran into a hairy guy with a leather belt. He's like, that is Elijah the Tishbite. That's an important thing. Keep that in mind as we go later on our study here. But if you were to say that hairy guy with a leather belt, you were talking about Elijah. Interesting fact, he never died. Like Zachary was saying, he was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. So chariots of fire, saying, comes from Elijah. It's so literally, he was taken up to heaven by fire. Chariots of fire. He was in a cart pulled by horses, all of it on fire. They were angelic. In fact, Elisha is walking with him when it happens, and the chariots separate him and take him. <clears throat> Any questions on Elijah? You will not find a single book in the Bible named Elijah. So just keep that in mind. Where's he at in the Bible? He's in Kings. Kings. Mainly, mainly in Kings. I, I believe he might be in a... I mean, he's mentioned throughout the Bible, but he's his main story is in Kings. Nehemiah. What do we know about Nehemiah? Who has heard of Nehemiah? So Nehemiah was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. Very famous king throughout history. It means that he he tasted every drink that the king would drink beforehand to make sure it wasn't poisoned. He was the leader who would rebuild Jerusalem, governed Judah for 12 years, while still holding a royal position. The book of Nehemiah is known as the leadership book of the Bible. It shows you how to plan properly, how to stay in your on track for your calling by God despite threats and outside influences. It is a it is a very good book to read. A lot of a lot of times if you're having leadership issues they send you to Nehemiah. Interesting fact, Nehemiah 2.1 gives us the start date for Daniel's 70 week prophecy so that we know the exact day the Messiah would have to enter the East Gate. P.S. It was Jesus' triumphal entry. And Nehemiah 2.1 on our calendar is 
March 14th, 445 BC. And it tells you to the day that Jesus would walk through the East Gate. Which is why Jesus looked at all the the uh, Sadducees and he said, had you known this day, the day of your visitation? And he criticized them for not knowing prophecies. Any questions on Nehemiah? Here's a big one. What do we know about Isaiah? He's considered a major prophet. Major and minor prophets in the Bible aren't in whether one was more important. It is the volume of prophecies that they gave. So he wrote a lot. He is probably the most revered prophet in Judaism. So. His eldest son was named Sheer Jessica. That means a remnant shall return. That's kind of a cool name, Sheer Jessup. His second son kind of got the short end of the stick. It means quickly the plunder, or it hurries the loot. And his name is Mahar Shalahalabaz. So Sheer Jessup won the name game. What does it mean? Huh? What does it mean? I just said it. Quickly the plunder? No, not the second one. It meaning a remnant shall return. He was foretelling they would return to Jerusalem. His prophecy will span 90 years from Kings Uzziah through Hezekiah. He had a hot coal when he went. He went to heaven and in a form of rapture, and he had an angel. He said, I am of unclean lips. How can I go and talk to your people? And an angel took a coal off of the fire in heaven with some tongs, literally put it in his hand then, and then touched it to his lips and said, now you are clean, you are purged. Did he feel it? No, he didn't burn him. He cleansed him. But if the angel could just pick up the coal, why didn't he? Because they are holy. And he couldn't touch where it was. Kind of like Moses, take off your sandals for you stand on holy ground. He is actually the one who will foretell, it will foretell the virgin birth of the Messiah. For behold, the virgin shall conceive. That's Isaiah. You're going to start to see a whole lot of prophecies that you know, and you're going to realize this dude gave us a lot of information. He tells us that the Messiah will come from the lineage of David. He tells us that the Messiah will first come in gentleness, something that the Jews that time missed. He literally described that the Messiah will be rejected by Israel and gives us the description of his appearance, what he would physically look like. He tells us how the Messiah would suffer. Remember when we went through the Good Friday service? It's literally Isaiah explaining that he would be whipped, he would be scourged, and why? He would be bruised, his beard would be plucked out, he would be spit on. He would. He describes a coming event in Isaiah 17.1 that Damascus, the city of Damascus, will be destroyed to the point that no one will ever be able to live there again. And that is coming. Isn't that where, if, if they look back, they turn into a grain of salt? No, that was Sodom and that was Sodom. This is Damascus, it's in modern-day Syria, and this hasn't taken place yet. He literally gives us the flight path for Jesus' second coming. 
those of us who are saved will be behind him. He tells us that we won't remember anything of this life in the new heaven and the new earth once it's that beginning. So everything in this life you will not remember. So when people tell you it can't be heaven if so-and-so isn't there because I'll be upset. Well, that's how it works. Because you won't remember so-and-so. Now, so-and-so in the lake of fire will remember you. And every time you try to save. Every time you look. You try to save them, give them Jesus. They'll remember that. He foretold Israel's rebirth taking place in one day. And that happened May 14th, 1948. Literally the way he said it would happen. May 14th, 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn again in one day. The only time in recorded human history that that has ever happened. And he foretold that. So what did they do? They made Israel. They weren't a nation for almost 2,000 years. Well, and they just came back. In fact, if you look at the early 1900s, people would make fun of end time people who would say Israel will be a nation. And they're like, no, it's got to be a. Uh, uh, a what do you light. have to do to become a nation? You have to be recognized. You have to do a whole bunch of things. They um, recognize them in one day. Interesting fact, the book of Isaiah is a mini-Bible. It is 66 chapters long. Your Bible has 66 books. There are 39 books which talk about the coming judgment, or the Old Testament, if you will, and then the 27 books Last 27 books of Isaiah focus on the future or the New Testament. Any questions, thoughts, comments on Isaiah? What about Esther? Esther. She was a queen. She was taken by okay. the one guy was hung. Haman. Yeah. Didn't they want to kill all the Jews and she was a Jew? She was. And who was that one guy she was with? Saved people. She did save people. How did she save people? Esther. See if this helps. Her birth name was Hadassah, which actually means bride, which will be her role. Where is she from? She was an Israeli. She was a Jew. She was married to a king. Yep. She was not married to Haman. And she made him. Give me a clue. Uh, Haman wanted to kill all of the Jews. And she made a dinner. Mordecai was her uncle. That's who it was. Let's walk through this. Let's see, see when it comes to you. She married King Ahasuerus. That is actually King Xerxes, the king that was defeated by the 300 Spartans. So he has a... He has a wife, Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti refuses to come to one of his parties. He wanted to show off her beauty. She was like, no. And he and he left her and ended up marrying Esther. Yep. So he, he kicks her out. He then goes on conquest. 300 battle happens and he's brokenhearted because he didn't quite defeat Greece. He came home and they're like, find yourself a new bride. Wait, didn't all the 300 die? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about that later. Um, Esther is the new bride, but nobody knows she's a Jew. 
Haman sees Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow to him, and his pride takes over, and he wants to kill them all. So he gets the king to issue an order that on this day, at the end of the year, you can just kill any Jew you want and take all their property. So Mordecai hears of this. He tells Esther, you need to say something to the king. And she's like, mm, no, like this isn't, you don't understand. He hasn't called for me. So back then, if you were to just walk in and see the king, he had a golden scepter. If he didn't hold that up, you were immediately killed. Didn't matter who you were. So Mordecai made that, that famous statement, if you will, in Esther 4. For such a time as this, that saying comes from Esther. He said, how do you know if you were not born for such a time as this? For God will deliver his people. But if you won't do it, he will find somebody else who will. And you will lose your glory. Remember the widow of Zarephath? Mm -hmm. She had one chance. That's the widow we just talked oh, about with yeah. Elijah and the oil. Okay, yeah. This is Esther's whole reason. So she walks in, he raises it. He goes, what would you like? I'll give you half the kingdom. She goes, I just want you and Haman to come to dinner. The dinner was that night. She had already planned it. It was already in, in motion. They come and eat. He goes, what do you want? She goes, I want you to come to dinner tomorrow night. And Haman is so happy. He's the only other person. In, he's the second in command in the nation. He builds a set of gallows at his house to hang Mordecai that are 75 feet tall because he thinks he's got ultimate power. Shockingly, that night, God makes it so that Ahasuerus can't sleep. So he says, hey, read to me, so I'll fall asleep. And they bring in the rolls, and here Mordecai had told them about two spies that were going to kill the chief for the king. He goes, what have I done for this man? They say, nothing. So the next morning when Haman shows up, he goes, what should I do for the person I'm well pleased in? Haman thinks it's him. He lists all sorts of things that should be done. And he says, perfect, go do that to Mordecai. So he has to do all of these things to the man he hates. It's that night that Esther holds her dinner. Her dinner, she reveals that Haman is trying to kill her and her people. King storms out. He gets afraid. He jumps on Esther and begs her to save him. Problem is, King walks back in and thinks he's trying to rape her. <clears throat> and so Haman is hung on the very gallows that he had made. If you look at Judas and you look at Haman, everybody Satan uses ends up dead and generally hung. Where's hung meat? Dangle by your neck. <laughs> not not <laughs> choke you, doesn't like choke you or break your neck. Oh, so I'm longer there. So she saves the Jewish people, and the feast of Purim is what comes out of that. Every time somebody tries to kill all the Jews, they have a new feast. Hanukkah, Purim, you name it. Interesting fact: the Book of Esther. You will never see the word God. God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. In fact, if you read the book of Esther to somebody and you just had a book that said Esther and you just read it, they would never probably even know that it was in the Bible. But you can see God's fingerprints everywhere. It is a very good book to read. It's actually very, I think it's about 10 chapters. It's not long. 
you can see how life plays out and God is moving, but you never see God admitted in the flesh. We're going to look at somebody who's the actual opposite of that here in a little bit. Any questions on Esther? Well, here's the actual opposite person. Job. So Job. This actually was Sean's favorite book. I told him, that's nobody's favorite book. He said, well, it's mine. <laughs> okay. The book of Job. Any Anybody know anything about Job? He lost everything. He did lose everything. Why? He lost everything because the devil wanted to tempt him. And God said, you can do these things, but you can't take his life. And he um, lost everything, but he continued to um, believe in Christ. And he continued with his faith. And then he never let God down. And then he got everything back times like 10,000. Pretty close. The actual reason Job was tempted was because he was good. And so it was a bet for glory. Satan wanted glory. God knew he was going to get it. And so that Job was a, basically a pawn. Right. So he loses everything. And if you ever think you've had a bad day, read the book of Job, because he loses everything in a matter of minutes. He goes from one of the wealthiest people in the world. He loses everything. So it starts. Some servant comes running up to him and says, Hey, we were raided and the oxen and the donkeys were taken and all of our servants were killed except for me. I alone have been saved. And I came to tell you. He's not able to, is he? While he was still speaking, this servant was still speaking, here comes another one. Fire came down from heaven, that's lightning, and killed the sheep and all the servants, and only I alone have survived to tell you. While he's still speaking, he's told three bands of Chaldean raiders came and took all of your camels and killed every servant but me alone. While he's still speaking, he says, your sons and daughters, another servant, your sons and daughters were eating in a home. And a strong wind hit it, and it collapsed, and it killed your sons and daughters and all of the servants. And I alone have made it here to tell you. That's one day. Then it comes another time where Satan says, oh, you wouldn't let me touch him. Let me touch him, and he'll curse you to your face. So he puts painful boils on him from head to toe. Blisters. Blister. Okay, yeah. Open sores. It's painful. Sorry. You're good. So he has these open sores. You are always It's as soon as this happens, his wife comes up to him and says, would you just curse God and die? So Satan's in her head, too. He then has some friends that show up and scold him. Basically told him he was wrong. They didn't understand what was going on. Job kind of got a little bit on his high horse. He's confronted by God. But when he came out the other side, he was actually blessed with twice as much as he had lost. Twice as much. Twice as much. Interesting fact. Job shows the true battle. Esther is like reading what's going on in the real world, and you, you see the fingerprints behind it. Job is you're watching the hands move behind the curtains, 
and everybody blames God. Man, you must have done something really bad because all this stuff happened to you. Or what's why is God mad at me? God wasn't mad at him at all. Until he started kind of talking about himself. And yet Satan, Satan caused lightning and raiders and attacks. God never touched him. Wait, so Satan has the ability to really create raids and yeah. strike lightning. Yep. Satan has control over the weather. Well, then he must have a heck of a lot of time in Ohio. <laughs> so, any questions about Job? Did he pray for humility? Is that why he lost everything? No. In fact, Job was so righteous that he was scared his sins, his sons or daughters might have sinned, and so he prayed and sacrificed every day for them to make intercession. Because he was so righteous, he was chosen as a target. Any other questions? Let's look at Jeremiah. What do you know about Jeremiah? Jeremiah is another one of the major, major prophets. He was called by the Lord at around 20 years of age. He told him, no one will listen to me. I'm too young. And that's where the saying, do not say I am only a youth, comes from. He tells him in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. It means made him holy. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So he had his entire life planned out before he was even created. And that's what he does for all of us. He tells him that the nation will fight against you and they will hate you, but you will not be destroyed. They will try to kill you, but they will not prevail. So he knows this going into this. He was not liked by the king, or any of the other so-called prophets. God shows Jeremiah and us in this book that the nations themselves are like clay in his hands. He can just move them as he wills. He is a prominent end-time prophet. We know a lot about the end times because of, because of him. Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12 shows that Israel will be slaves for 70 years. David used Jeremiah to know when their slavery was nearly end, at the end in Babylon. At one point, he ticked the king off so much that they threw him into a pit and gave him bread of affliction. Okay. Bread of affliction means they fed him just enough to keep him alive. Uh, interesting fact, he told King Zedekiah he would go to Babylon, but he would never see it. Yeah. How would you do that? Huh? See it. Yeah. While you think about that, it is this 70 years prophecy that leads David or Daniel to, to say a prayer. In that prayer, he asks God to show him what will happen to his people. Why, why had this happened? He asks essentially for 490-some years in review. God shows up and shows him 490-some years in the future yeah. through the end of time. Did you get that? Why why, why do you think, Jen? Well, how could he go to Babylon and never see it? I mean, so is he going to go there dead? No. Is yeah. that where, so this is is how, Babylon going to be destroyed? It, well, it is, but 
it's still not, if it's destroyed, it's not Babylon. So this is how prophecy works. It's not so that you know exactly what's going to happen, but so that you, when you see it happen, you know what that the Bible is true. So what happens is is when the king is captured, his sons and all the nobles of Jerusalem are killed in front of him. Then they pluck his eyes out of his head and disconnect them and then carry him to Babylon. So he was blind. So he went to Babylon, but he never saw it. Wouldn't you bleed like a lot? Wouldn't you go hurt? No, you wouldn't bleed out. So that's how prophecy works. You think it's a riddle, and you're like, no, he actually meant that. Like, he meant that. Unless you see like or as in the Bible, it is almost always verbatim. It is literal. So speaking of literal prophets. Who knows anything about Ezekiel? He was stuck in jail for a couple of years. Why was he in jail? I don't know. Oh, okay. Following God? Jeremiah was in jail a lot. And then he went to some place to speak about God. Okay. You're very descriptive, Zachary. I appreciate it. I don't know. All right. Anybody else? Ezekiel. He's another one of them there, major prophets. He saw some freaky angels. You should read Ezekiel 1. We're talking about angels with six wings, with a ball, with wheels that move in different directions, and eyeballs on the entire wheel. They have four faces, one that faces each way, and they never turn. They just move. I saw a YouTube video of that. Yeah, that's Ezekiel. I'll just... Yeah, it's well, was kind of like kind of weird. 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 Kind like, what does it look like? Why do you like that? Why? Well, there's different classes of angels. Why do they push evil make that? Like, what do they make those? So you have you have cherubim, seraphim, then you have cherubs. The one you always think of, cherub would be like uh, that's who's always portrayed as Cupid. It's a little cherub, fumble-budded thing flying around. Kind of like a cherub. Seraphim. Or the ones Ezekiel saw. Um, they got teeth. I don't know. Yeah, I think the one. They, well, they have the they have the face of a lion, the mouth of a, you know. There's one. So they described as just. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's got four different faces, and they're all different. Ox. Their faces actually represent the gospel. Four books of the gospel. You can link each face. Were these the angels outside of the tabernacle? No. You mean in heaven? No, in um the tabernacle. You, oh, you're talking about okay. So you're talking on on the ones on the mercy seat, on the ark. Never. So does anybody know what class of angel Gabriel Michael? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai? Yeah, isn't the tabernacle in Mount Sinai? 
Now it was he saw the copy, the pattern of it on Mount Sinai, but it was what they carried. Got it. So what class of angels are well were Lucifer before he fell, Michael, and Gabriel? Archangels. Archangels. But dad, if you die, can you turn into an angel? Cool. Oh. Angels are created beings. You will never be an angel. <laughs> in fact, in the next life, you will be higher than the angels. Naturally, if you can boss someone out. You want to. They have their own role. Archangels are at the top. And the only three we know of are Lucifer, who was the head archangel until he was dethroned. Michael, who appears to have taken over as the fighting angel. So Lucifer was over music and worship. Michael was over defending and beers. And Gabriel is over delivering messages. They run the angels, if you will. Wasn't Satan the most, like, yes. beautiful? Yep. Well, when he was Lucifer. Lucifer was his name, which means bright and morning star. So, after we get through the angels, he is called a watchman on the wall. God told him, if you see things coming and you do not tell my people bad things, like, hey, this doctrine, that doctrine, or they're, they're worshiping this or worshiping that, and you don't tell my people, and, and they die in that, I will hold their blood against you. But if you tell them and you warn them and they do not listen and they still die, you are guiltless of their blood. How do you think that affects the Christian when you see your buddies and you don't tell them? When you see people on the street who you don't even know, and we don't tell them about salvation, or we are quiet when it comes to the doctrines of the prosperity gospel, or somehow people making pro-abortion, or any type of changes to theology. We see the splits in the churches over homosexuality and now the transvestite stuff and all that. And the church is generally silent or jumping on board. And yet we aren't saying a word. It took putting a man as a woman on a Bud Light can and being the name of Nike women's sports for anybody to get mad enough to do anything. Don't think God's not going to hold us accountable for not speaking up. Ouch. We are his arms and his feet, his spokesmen. We are told to occupy. Occupy means you're against a force in foreign territory because we don't belong here anymore. But if we speak up, we're, we're being intolerant, but we're supposed to accept the wrongs that they're doing. Is that why people don't speak up? We don't speak up because we fear the retribution of man more than the disappointment of God. Have you ever read in the Bible where it says fear the Lord, fear of the God, fear of God? That's not that you're scared of him as God, that he will throw you in hell. It is that you fear what he can do to you, as in not save you. That's the first fear we come to. We, we fear that we deserve the lake of fire, don't deserve, so we accept his gift. And then the fear of the Lord, it says, is the beginning of wisdom. And that means that 
not that we're scared of who God is, but that we are scared of disappointing him because of what he has done for us and who he is. If he is who he says he is, and we truly believe that, how could we not? If he is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, you've sold your soul to him, he is the master of your life, and he says this is what you should say and do, are we being faithful if we don't say and do it? And that should... That just convicted me. It's, con it's probably convicted all of us mm -hmm. in that we are not standing and being vocal. And by not doing that, we have lost our country. Because Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people, notice the pre-qualifier, my people, the atheists don't count, the agnostics don't count. The Buddhists, the Muslims, the anybody who is not an actual Christian, don't count. Well, if my question, oh, hold on. If my people who are called by my name, the name of Jesus, because it's the Old Testament, we haven't named him as Messiah yet, will turn from their wicked ways, pray, seek my face, and repent. The promise is, then I will hear their prayers and heal their land their nation. So in actuality, we can yell and scream about Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and, and AOC and all of the, the Antifa, but the problem is we aren't digging into the Bible to see how we're supposed to live, and we aren't living that way, and we aren't speaking out the way we should, and that's why our nation is going downhill, because we are not serving God, and so now we are under the, I think it's Leviticus 26, the judgments of God. Everything we are seeing happen is listed there. To the point that I will give you leaders that hate you. Because we won't repent of what we're doing. Seek his face and turn. We live in willful ignorance because we don't want to dig in. We live in willful sin because we don't want to offend. We live in, in willful just straight disobedience because we're so happy with comforts or traditions that we don't want to learn the truth. We are living in the single most prophetic times the world has ever seen outside of when Jesus walked the earth. The Bible told us this was going to happen. The times of Noah, what was wrong going on with Noah? People were all about themselves, greed, doing whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. My truth, if you will. And then the times of Lot. What was Lot signified by? In Sodom. So where we get the word for the law sodomy. The sodomize. What does that mean? It's anal sex. That's later. That's where it comes from, Sodom. This is what people were doing. And he spoke out. And he was saved. His son-in-laws, his daughters, didn't believe him. They perished. Just as we talk to the unbelievers. But Ezekiel's telling us, if we are not willing to tell people, we are losing our blessings. We aren't fulfilling our role. Our world is falling apart. 
we were put here for such a time as this, just like Esther. You were put where you live, where you work. That doesn't count for me. At this time. What do you mean? I work at home. I don't have anybody I can talk to. So he gave you the freedom to work anyway. You used to work places. I did. He puts you in these places so that you can tell people about it. That is your job. I am a Christian. You can't be something that can be taken from you or that you can leave. That is not you. That is something you are currently doing or even identify as, if you will. But if you can't give back being a Christian, once saved, always saved, that is something you actually are. So take what you are, put that above everything else. You start taking credit for things you do in his name that's no longer in his name, it's in your name. You are to be an example. The words you speak, the way we act, everywhere we go. And this has convicted me many times. Just the other day, I walked into my boss's office and told him, I haven't been doing a good job. I've been upset. I've been looking at David, and I've been looking at Daniel, and I'm convicted. They were not ready for the conversation we had. But sometimes you have to admit you were wrong or acting wrong. Ezekiel, he saw the glory of God actually leave the temple before the temple was destroyed. They were in there worshiping God. He wasn't even there. That should speak to our churches. I thought he was always there. <laughs> he left. Because they were no longer actually worshiping him with their heart. So if you're going to a church that's teaching all of this stuff, God is not there. Church of Laodicea, the last church we would have we looked at in the Bible, or the book of Revelation, he's knocking on the door trying to get in. Because he's not there. Can we just open the door? Your New Testament? No, he won't force his way in. You have to accept him. Your New Testament and your Old Testament are the same thing, just told in different ways. The Old Testament is very good to see. They did this. This is what happened. It can teach you so much of what not to do or what to do. He foresaw the Holocaust. Ezekiel 37 is the Holocaust. Where is it from? It's the it is the Valley of Dry Bones. That's what it's called. It's the Shachapa, the Valley of Dry Bones. He saw people who were nothing but skin and bone. And he said, call out to my people. Bones rattled. They came back to life. What happened right after World War II? May 14th, 1948, he created the nation of Israel from a group of people who were nothing. Literally, they couldn't even stand there. Eight million of them just died. They had two planes, I think three APC armored personnel carriers, some hunting rifles, and some grenades that they dropped out of the cockpit of the plane because they had no bombs or missiles, and they defeated five or six of the most powerful Arab nations that invaded them. That's God. Ezekiel 38-39 is coming. Gog-Magog war. You can see the setup of it in your newspaper, in your news on Google today. It is happening. It is about to come true. And when it happens, the world is going to shake. So we're close to the rapture? We are very close to the rapture. So I won't make it to 80? I don't know. 
He said he won't make it to what? 80. Now keep in mind, despite his major importance in biblical prophecy, Ezekiel is only mentioned by name twice in the Bible. Outside of his book. Generally, God calls him son of man. He tells us the actual dimensions of the next temple that will be built in Israel. And if you want to go on YouTube, you can see the schematics. Because the Israelites have it. Those in Israel have it ready to be rebuilt. They have the red heifer, I believe. They have, or might be looking for one. They have all the utensils, all the robes. They have DNA tested their people to figure out who are the Korosites and who are the witch tribe and feed the priests. And they have started the rituals and trainings and they've selected the Sanhedrin and the high priests. And they are ready if they are ever given the green light to rebuild the temple. Here's an interesting thing. As his prophet, he had to lie on his side to bear the guilt and iniquity of his nation one day for every year they rebelled. That meant he laid on his left side, his left side alone, for 390 days for the nation of Israel. It's over a year. He then had to roll on his left side and lay there 40 days for the nation of Judah. Well, you should have no, he laid on his or a right side for Judah. He could only eat bread made from wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt, which he had to put in a vessel to cook. He could have no more than eight ounces of water a day, which is 0.6 liters. And he could also have barley cakes, but the carly, barley cakes had to be cooked in a certain way. They had to be cooked over human waste. Yep. That's poop. When he kind of raised the stink, pun intended, to God about that, God said, okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. You don't have to do it over human waste. You have to do it over cow dung. So his barley cakes probably tasted like crap. Uh -huh. No, no, I mean, I meant that literally. Like, that was the point. He is suffering because they are being idiots, and he is so that they can see how they are seen before God. It was not to be enjoyed. Any questions on Ezekiel? If you ever hear, I am a watchman, Christians referred to as watchmen, that comes from Ezekiel. Watchman on the wall. I have to tell you, we are to be watching the horizon as a century, seeing the dangers that are coming, not only for the world, but our people, and then tell them. And if we're not all doing that, we're leaving people out hanging, hanging to drop. So, use your Bible, use your smartphone or your newspaper in the other hand, lengthen, defer to the Bible. You'll see it coming through. John the Baptist. We got two people left from the New Testament. What are we talking about? John, as Jen said, John the Baptist. I don't call right now. Okay. He baptized Jesus. He baptized Jesus. Yes, he did. He was, Jesus he was the cousin of Jesus. He was born six months prior. In fact, when Mary went to see his mother, John the Baptist leapt in her womb. He jumped. That kind of defeats the purpose of saying that's not a baby. He wrote most of his book in prison. He didn't write a book. 
This is John the Baptist, not John, not the disciple. Oh. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord to make straight his paths. Jesus literally said he came in the spirit of Elijah, fulfilling Isaiah 40. He was described as a man wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. Remember is he, he, uh, Elijah, a hairy man with a leather belt? So you got to, these links are there. We just tend to miss it. He was described as a can in camel's hair with a leather belt who ate locusts and wild honey. Isn't locusts like plant? Locusts, yeah, like grasshopper. Interesting fact, he was beheaded because a young girl could dance. Yeah. Herod made a promise after his wife's daughter, his wife was Herodotus, danced. He said, I'll give you half the kingdom. What do you want? I'm so pleased. She asked mom, what, what do I want? She said, you want the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. You ever heard the saying? That's right. Yeah. You ever heard the saying, I want his head on a silver platter? That's where it came from. He was scared to death of John. But John had convicted him because Herodotus was Herod's brother's wife. And he took her. And Herodotus was sick of him saying, that's wrong. That's wrong. She wanted him dead. So he had him arrested, but he wouldn't touch him. And then he made this promise without thinking ahead. And he had John beheaded. Doesn't that mean? He had his head cut off. Yep, he had his head cut off, and it came in on a platter. Oh. 